Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason. We get together every week and discuss issues impacting the industry of food, fuel, fiber, and farming. That's right. You've heard me say that at the intro of all of these shows, and you've also heard me say it today. i got a great guest. Today is not just a great guest. He's a friend of mine and a friend of the show. I like him because he's a little bit like me. He says stuff that might run a little counter to what you want to hear. And that's okay. We need more people with balls and backbone in this industry. And this guy is just the person that fits that bill. His name's Tim Hamrich. He runs aggrad.com. He also has the Future of Agriculture podcast. That's an agricultural-themed podcast. He's got a heck of a website. Man, has he gotten, and he updated that. I got to talk to you about that, Tim. But Tim, is a professional placement guy. He's a recruiter for the industry of agriculture. So if you need a job, or more importantly, if you need to hire great talent, you should look up Tim. He's going to give you all of his contact information. Today, Tim rejoins me. He was one of my early guests a little over a year ago on this Business of Agriculture podcast, where we talked about what's happening in ag, professional opportunities, people uh, steering themselves wrong into non-opportunities in ag, and all things happening professionally in the industry as well as more. Tim Hamrich, welcome back to the Business of Agriculture. Hey, thank you for having me. That intro was fantastic. I, I think you have really upped your game since I was on last time. I've not only upped my game, I've gotten to where I keep up with you and I'm okay calling you, you know, saying things like balls and backbone. <laughs> You're saying, wait a minute, Damien, are, are you telling me? Yes, I'm saying that you and I just uh, call it like it is in the industry. I'm going to give you, my dear viewers, a little bit of background right up front. Tim makes his living helping folks get jobs and more importantly, helping organizations in the industry find talent to fill their needs. I asked him a year ago, what one thing are we seeing too much of? What one thing would you tell young folks to avoid to be professionally advanced and to advance themselves. He said, Damien, you're going to put me in a bad spot. You're going to get me in trouble. Is what you said, Tim. You said, I'm going to, you're going to get me in trouble, but we've got a lot of these young folks with their ag communications degree, and they want to come out and be an advocate for ag and tell their story. And he's like, you know, great. What else do you know how to do? And so since then, I've said, well, there's way too much passionate, passionate people, passionately advocating and advocating. Folks, advocate's not really a word, and we're overdone on the patient. Patient means an extreme emotion. Passion means uh, you are almost out of control with your feelings. Patient is how we describe a, a crime where two people kill one another in a bedroom over sex and love. Do we really want to be that way over discussing the industry of soybeans? I'm not sure we do. Tim Hamrich, enough of my monologue. Welcome to the Business of Agriculture. Besides liking the intro, Talk to me. Tell me about ag grad. Tell me about you. Tell me what's going on. Yeah. Well, for, first, just to add on what you just said, I, I also think, you know, we do a disservice to some of these uh, people going into college by you know, ag communications. It's important to communicate. Both you and I are, are in some ways, you may be more so than me, professional communicators. But to say kind of like, hey, here's your career track, you're an ag communicator. I talk to them on the other end when they're graduating school, they're looking for a job and they, they think, oh, I don't really want to do sales. Um, I kind of just want to do kind of communications and there are some of those jobs, but there's not very many of them. And by, by no means are there enough for the amount of ag communications majors that get out of there. But yeah, uh, now that's, that's by the way, back to your beginning statement is so accurate. If you're listening to this podcast and, and I, I do want you to share it, you know, it's time we've been hitting around 500 listeners. It's, let's bump this up. Let's start sharing this around. But here's the fun part. You just said 
I'm an ag communicator. I get up in front of audiences all over North America and talk to the business of agriculture. But I talk to them not just about the business of agriculture. I have made the point about this ag communication. If agriculture, if this industry was a person, it'd be the crazy old man at the park sitting on a bench muttering to himself. <laughs> it's true. Because we talk to ourselves so damn much about ourselves, we look like some sort of a vagrant with some sort of mental disorder sitting on the park bench, you know, throwing breadcrumbs at the pigeons, just muttering. Folks, I talk to the industry of agriculture about this business, but also about the big picture. And that is where I think we need to always uh, realize we can't keep talking to ourselves about ourselves. You want to communicate about this industry? Volunteer to go to the Rotary Club in your hometown. Uh, ask the Chamber of Commerce in your nearest community, can I come in at your next meeting and give me 10 minutes to tell you about what's happening, not only in my operation, but in the entire state of agriculture. So that's really what we need to do. Yeah, we're all ag communicators, but getting a degree in ag communications, you probably need to have some experience, sales, uh, marketing, and uh, you know, grain processing, whatever that thing should be. Yeah, no, no doubt. I, I just moved, as you know, up here to Idaho. Uh, that's why if, if you're looking at this on video, you can see nothing behind me. Just moved in. You look like they put you up in the upstairs attic room, and that's where your wife said, this can be your office, Tim. Just go up there and make money. There's nothing on the wall. There's some, there's some carpet and one light fixture on. I hope, that, I hope that you eventually settle in a little bit there. It looks a little stark. It is. You hit the nail on the head. It's the only thing upstairs is the office and a little half bathroom. And I just stay up here until I can come downstairs and say I made some money. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, I, I uh, first thing I did was try to get connected with a meetup group here in, in Eagle, Idaho, where we, where we live. There wasn't one for business owners and it's a growing community. So I just started a meetup group and we've got 22 people as of today in our little meetup group that I started last week. So uh, I think that's true. We got to kind of reach over and, and communicate with people. You um, said four. You if I would started one for agriculture communicators, I would still be the only one. <laughs> so you said you set up a meetup space, mm -hmm. and and it's in Boise. Yeah, in Eagle. At, at, at Eagle, which is a suburb of Boise, and it's it is just the agriculture meetup. It's it's not. It's it's for uh, business owners. So it's Eagle Entrepreneurs. Okay. And, and so, but yeah, but to your point, I mean, you don't you don't go you don't try to set up an ag group and be be a group of one talking to yourself. Um, Find a, find a shared interest, and, and we can communicate that way. So, Tim Hamrich of aggrad.com, and I'm going to tell uh, anybody listening to this, remember that word, and if you happen to be at a stop sign, you know, write it down, because he's redone his website, and I'm always impressed by entrepreneurial people. I'm one. You, you know, 25 years now I've been in this racket of uh, entertaining, talking, speaking, running uh, investments, uh, doing the things that I do. And you're in your third year with your business, Tim. You improved your website, I noticed. It looks really, really sharp. And uh, you're out here, you've moved. You're trying to build your business as a professional recruiter for the business of agriculture. You're picking up new corporate clientele. What's happening? What's happening in the business of agriculture in terms of your perspective as a professional recruiter and headhunter? Yeah, I th well, I think to start off, start off with, there's just kind of some overarching themes. Uh, one that everybody is aware of, I'm sure you've talked about it several times on this show, uh, the consolidation that's happening in agriculture. And that, that creates a lot of uncertainty that trickles down all over the place. People don't know if they have a job or who, who they are going to be working for and what that looks like. So as those, uh, you know, mergers and acquisitions that have happened, happen in agriculture, sort of the dust settles, we start to see a little bit more um, 
confidence in, in they're looking for a job or not looking for a job, depending on the way things, I guess, shake out. So that's a big one. Well, let's, big- let's talk about consolidation real quick. First off, Tim, uh, and, and I've been around this industry for 49 years, uh, was raised in it. And I was an intern years ago for DuPont when I was a 21-year-old college kid in the ag chemical side. When I did that, I learned that uh, back then there was like, you know, seven or eight or 10 ag chem companies. And I'm talking about names like American Cyanamid or, uh, uh, you know, ICI or Shell. I mean, I'm going through all these uh, old, old chemistry. You know, see, but Geige. Now there's really three big chemical companies, probably four. And then you've got a couple of tier twos. They've been clients of mine, your Amvax and your Valence. But this consolidation thing has been going on forever in agriculture. It's nothing new. Uh, it seems to have hit a little bit of a more rapid pace a few years ago, but that's always happened. On the shakeout side, um, older people getting let go, just getting buyouts. What are you seeing? Yeah, so it's, I think we're going to continue to see. We have seen already, and we're probably going to continue to see. There, there are some redundancies. I mean, if if one company buys another, and they both have salespeople covering the same county, you know, that's a redundancy. So that's that's going to continue to happen. Um, as far as uh, what I'm seeing in the in the job market, I, it seems like the the cuts that have been made have ha, have been made within the last year or so, and maybe things are starting to stabilize a little bit. One thing that I was going to say is. The consolidation, as you said, it's happened for a while. And what's happened is it's taken out a lot of those middle companies, the mid-sized companies. So you've got the ultra large, but right in behind it, we've seen this boom in ag tech venture funding. And you're, you're starting to see more and more. Sorry, I lost my audio here. Can you still hear me? I can hear you just fine. Okay. So you're seeing um, these companies continue to consolidate. I, I just I just pointed out, I, again, frankly, my opinion is it, ag companies do it too quickly. They run for the exit scream and fire a little too quickly saying, oh my gosh, it's a year of low corn prices. We're going to have to scale back and consolidate for economies of scale. I'm like, wait a minute. Uh, no other industry panics and hits the panic button that quickly. And I also have said from a consolidation standpoint, I don't know if it's great for innovation hmm. because when your focus is bigger to be more, more commoditized, to capitalize on economies of scale, that doesn't usually lend itself to innovative thinking. In other words, Google is buying innovation now, not innovating in-house. Now, everybody doesn't believe that, but that's true. They've become very much a monolithic, big conglomerate-type-minded company. Sure, they still have foosball and beanbags in their lobby, but that doesn't mean they're cranking out new stuff. When Monsanto and Bayer become one, or when Nutrien and what the hell is the other one, you know, join forces. They're kind of saying, we're just going to be big. We're just going to be commodity minded. So I worry a little bit about some of the great innovations, but those will usually come from startups. And we're seeing a lot of that kind of money coming in. Tech companies are investing in ag. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I, I think that's where the interesting dynamic right now that may be a little different than the consolidation we've seen for years and years is that this, this sort of boom in ag tech and the amount of funding that's going into innovation on these smaller startup companies. And so actually I've started, since we talked last, started working with a lot more of these, um, I would say later stage startups. So they've, they've got some, they've got their footing, uh, they're starting to grow. And, and so I'm seeing a lot of opportunities for me as a recruiter to, um, to talk to some of these folks that maybe had a job at, at a company, got, got involved in a redundancy, a merger and acquisition, maybe they lost their job, and get them plugged in with some of the exciting stuff that's going on in ag tech. And that's been a big part of my business in the last year. 
Good for you because it means you're looking to the future. It means you're not just going back to the same old sources for your clientele. But here's another question, and this might be a little sensitive, uh, just like we set you up before about ag communications. If I'm a 49-year-old, which I am, uh, and I've been working for a company that's been consolidating and merging, uh, so which I'm not. Of course, I've been working for myself for 25 years. But if I were in that situation, I'd be worried, oh, gosh, I'm almost 50. Am I getting put out to pasture? I think I'll give me a year and a half severance and I get put out to pasture. And worse yet, as a 49-year-old put out to pasture, can I go over here to Tech XYZ that's now Ag Tech Ventures XYZ and have a place? Or am I too old? Is that a reality? No, it's not actually, because what you have going for you are the fundamentals. You know, what happened in the 80s, uh, nobody wanted to touch agriculture as a result of the 80s. So we really have this gap in maybe some people who, who came out of school in the 90s and since, uh, and then people came out of school maybe in the 70s. Uh, there's this gap of in the 80s for some reason, and we know why that reason is, nobody wanted to go into agriculture. And so uh, because of that, there is a talent gap. Um, and because of the consolidation that's happened on the farm level since that time, there's fewer and fewer of these farm kids that are going elsewhere because if they came from a farm, they came from a big enough farm that can maybe support them and then go back and farm themselves. So the fundamentals are your friend. There's less and less people with an ag background. And if there's one place where I specialize, it's in the ag tech companies that want somebody who can be the go between, between the technology and the producer. Now that does involve being able to be adaptable enough to learn that technology, but that has nothing to do with age. Anyone can learn technology if, if you're willing to. Um, the other place I see- Wait a minute, what's the old thing about an old dog and a new trick? Or old dogs- I don't believe it. Yeah, I, I, don't believe it. I, I, think, uh, I think it is all mindset and that at any age, you can learn new technology if, if you want to. Yeah, um, and, and by the way, what's the old thing about necessity is the mother of uh, invention? I always point out obsolescence and lo loss of relevance is the mother of reinvention. I make big speeches about reinvention. Hey guys, you know what? You still think you can go out and do things just because that's the way dad did it and that's the way mom did it? By God, no. If I'm 49 years old and I happen to be in one of those redundancies and all of a sudden I've got my year to be put out to pasture, I'm going to say to myself, uh, sounds like I better really, really start busting my tail and learning some of this new stuff because I do agree with you when there's this dearth of people that understand the industry. And you're right. I graduated in 1992. They were just starting to be daylight at the end of the tunnel. Uh, you know, there was no Purdue graduates. They were, like you said, they had a big family operation they could go back to. I, I didn't fit that bill. Or they maybe fit a little hole and could go to work a couple. But there's a real dearth of people my age to about uh, five, ten years older where, yeah, there was nowhere to go in 1987. There was no jobs to go in 1991 in agriculture. It was a really tough time because of the 80s washout. So I, I think you're right on this. So you're seeing folks like that. Are you placing them? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the big thing is, uh, and this gets back a little bit to what I was saying about being willing to to learn the technology. You don't have to learn coding. You don't have to learn how to build websites. You just have to be willing to understand from a user experience standpoint, meaning, okay, a farmer gets this software. What do they do with it? What does it do for them? And be able to uh, explain to a farmer how it's going to help them be profitable or get ROI in, in, in their operation. And so, yeah, I mean, definitely placing those types of people and we need them to stick around because frankly, the people my age and younger, uh, there aren't enough of them coming out with, uh, with the experience required to, to be 
sales managers, operations managers, marketing managers, accounting managers. Um, it's, they're just not quite there yet. And so we need folks in that demographic to, to stick around. Uh, in case you stepped away and grabbed a Coca-Cola and, uh, or that your tractor uh, was revved up because you're going through a thick spot in the field, I'm talking to Tim Hamrich with aggrad.com. He's a professional recruiter. He's a headhunter. He's a placement person. If your company needs talent, he's your guy. If you yourself need a place to land uh, and apply your talent, he's your guy. Look him up, aggrad.com or the Future of Agriculture podcast. He's a sharp guy. He's a friend of the show. And uh, I'll say this about our previous, uh, what, that, that previous little discussion on placement of folks that might be, uh, shall we say, redundancied out. There will be less people working in this industry. And that's where folks get confused because I say, no, there's opportunity. If your kid wants to be in the business of food uh, and agriculture, absolutely. And they say, but you just told me there's going to be less people. Yes. And we also know that there's a whole bunch of folks that are 58 and 63 and 69 and 80 years old that are going to be out of it. And so while there are less people needed to drive the tractors or to run the machinery because, or because there's less companies and we're going to have redundancies, there's also a big vacuum of people exiting this industry just because of age and retirement. Am I right? Oh, you're absolutely right. And there are segments of the industry that, that didn't exist or maybe existed on a really micro, micro scale 10 years ago that are, are a growing and growing aspect. So maybe there's less people working in ag retail, driving their pickup around, shaking farmers' hands. Uh, but at the same time, uh, people who understand kind of microbiology, some of these microbial companies that are displacing some chemical agriculture products uh, have a growing need for people who can understand their business. Uh, customer success is a job title you would never hear uh, a decade or more so in agriculture. And now there are several of these companies needing customer success, which is, you know, like geek squad for agriculture, somebody to walk and walk through and troubleshoot these uh, products that the farmer is using. Um, so there, there's a lot of exciting things, but it's changing. You're right. There's going to be fewer and fewer people doing some of the more traditional jobs that, that you described. Uh, but there are other opportunities elsewhere. And ag is unique. I mean, still, it, it, my biggest clientele are people who say, I really need someone who understands the industry. It's just not something we can go hire um, a microbiologist and say, go sell to farmers. It just doesn't work. Yeah. And there's going to be less farmers. And, uh, you know, folks say, well, in the average media and the average uh, non-ag group is like, well, if there's less farmers, then how's there any opportunity? And again, there's even going to be less jobs because there's less ag retailers. You know, it used to be in my county. Every every township had some place to either buy a buy a jug of 2,4-D or take your corn in and have it ground for your little beef operation. This has been going on for 200 years, this consolidation. So, less people doesn't mean that we don't have any opportunity because again, there's aging out, there's death, there's all those things. And then there's new opportunities, as you pointed out, customer success as a job title. Yeah. So like I said, kind of geek squad for agriculture. If, if you sell software, you can't just drop a software off at a farmer's place and start charging them hundreds of dollars uh, a month and, and then leave them alone. And it's a different skill set to sell somebody a product and to actually help them understand the product and use it to its full capacity. That's what customer success does. You know, you're not going to keep using my software product uh, if you're only using one of the 10 features it offers you. It, it won't be worth it. Uh, so I need to make sure that using all 10 features is actually getting you the, the results you're, you're paying for. Uh, I, this might be showing my 49-year-old age. Uh, I have several pieces of technology that I don't use all 10 
uh, aspects of its capability. Uh, I, I willingly admit uh, that, for instance, my cell phone has a few things on it that I, I get, I'm pretty good at it, but there's a few things I'm like, what the hell does this button do? What does it do? <laughs> well, you know what, but you're really good about using the different like social media platforms. We were talking yeah. about Twitter earlier. I know you're really active on LinkedIn. I see your Instagram posts. And so, you know, if you were just using one of those, you'd be missing out on a lot of business opportunity for you. I do social media. And you know what? I can now say that we're at the far enough into this podcast. If you're listening, you're a fan and a friend. Uh, the reason Tim and I get along is he, he finds it amusing some of the things I put on social media and he does comment on them, which I appreciate. And uh, it was only two months ago that I put out there, Max Armstrong banned me from his Twitter following. I don't know what I ever did to Max. I, I never pointed out that he's old or that his partner and him might be getting on the verge of out of touch. I never said anything like that. I mean, I, I would, but I never did. I didn't deserve to be banned by Max Armstrong, but these things happen. Yes, I do keep up on social media. I do push out stuff because I want to keep sure, uh, you know, folks uh, paying attention and give them something that's worthwhile. But yeah, there's other things that we're missing out on. You know, another great example about placements and opportunities, you know, like crop consulting. That was something that really the person from the co-op did 20 years ago. And, you know, or whatever. And uh, some of these agricultural, while there's less farmers, have more of a need for the agronomic information or the consulting or those sorts of things where it's like, yes, I'm covering more acres and I can do that because of the equipment, but I can also do it because I have you bringing me this data, bringing me this training, bringing me this information to help me improve my operation. Right. And I think selling in general as uh, as the landscape is sort of narrowed, like we've been talking about, operations get bigger and there's fewer players in the space. It needs to be more of a consultative relationship rather than just get the sale, get the sale, get the sale, you know, beat our com competition at all, at all costs. It needs to be a who adds the most value to a farmer and that's who they're going to work with because they don't have time, frankly, to go uh, talk to 20 different people. They need one person that they can really trust. And not just at the farmer level, really, Tim, at all levels. It's the old thing of, am I an expert that can give you value or am I going to beat you, you know, beat the next person on price? And that's what we got to make sure we're pushing out. Speaking of money and price, are ag salaries keeping up? Because I read the Wall Street Journal every day that I travel. And I know that the tight labor market has got companies offering, putting some pretty good bonuses out there and saying, hey, come on, we got, we got to pay you. Ag companies, are they towing the line? You know, Overall, I would say that they're they're hanging in there. Um, the The salary thing is is tough because uh, usually the biggest challenge is not so much pay, but it's location. Uh, people just don't want to move. It would seem the way that previous generations did. Um, even though we spend all our time, it's kind of ironic actually. We spend all our time on the internet, which you can do from anywhere with a decent connection. Uh, people, younger professionals want to live in more. Uh, urban, suburban type areas. And so the biggest challenge is not so much can we pay them enough, it's can we get them to move out here um, and not just for an extra $5,000 a year. Maybe they say yes, but they're not going to be happy. You know, that's, the money is not going to make them happy. And especially the millennials, to use the M word, um, they, they want to have a job that's fulfilling on, on multiple levels, including location.
Yeah, uh, Grain Elevator and Processing Society has been a client of mine. And in fact, they teamed up with Kansas State University because they said, we need folks that know how to run these grain terminals. It's a pretty specialized business. You know, you're not only marketing the grain because you and I both know that everybody and her sister is a grain marketer, but we also, we got, we, we need, you probably have them that want to get jobs with you, right? Absolutely. And actually, uh, what, what you're talking about, you know, superintendents, people, location managers, people to run these facilities, uh, it's a really good job. It can, you can make the same salaries you, you, you can make in downtown Kansas City as you could in Hayes, Kansas, and your cost of living be dramatically less. So it can be a very, very good career. And uh, of course, most of these grain terminals are in places that, that aren't urban centers. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a real challenge. And that was the exact point the Grain Elevator and Processing Society made to me while they teamed up with K-State University to create the curriculum. And they said, we've got to have these people because you're talking about, you know, millions of bushels of, of commodity that we got put on these trains and these barges. But they said, we don't have any shortage of uh, opportunities for people that want to do this because, again, the young person is going to be living in a uh, rural uh, town, uh, you know, that's where the trains come together and where the, the crop gets dropped. And so they, they are well paid, but they are remote. Yeah, my last job in the grain business was a, a location manager in Binkleman, Nebraska, population 900, the southwest corner of Nebraska, and we were 55 miles from the nearest McDonald's. And so it's it's different, uh, but you can, I mean, there's people there. You can be completely happy, uh, but but I think I think that's one thing that a lot of job seekers are short sighted on is this fear that oh, if I if I don't live in my perfect location, I won't be happy. I won't be connected. I won't be part of the action. And uh, I think it's a myth, but it's a it's an awful tough one to get uh, get people over. I worked as a uh, as an intern because I needed to get job experience in Erie, Pennsylvania, one summer, and I will tell you it was uh, it was a challenge. And I would have I would have gone there had I had no other opportunities, but uh, it wasn't where I ultimately wanted to be. But I was always of the opinion you got to go where the opportunity is, and I still do that. It's just that now I get paid to fly in and do a presentation and fly out. Uh, I haven't been to Binkelman though. Tim Hamrich, give me these answers to these questions. You are with aggrad.com. You talk to employers and employees every day to try and connect the two to make their dreams in the agriculture come together. What one thing do most job interviewers seem to get wrong? What are they doing wrong? You know. Yeah, so beyond the the part of they just aren't willing to move. In fact, I had a funny story today, actually, had someone tell me that, um, well, I'm just going to go wherever the Lord leads me. And I'm like, oh, okay, so you're open to relocating anywhere. Well, no, just Oklahoma. I'm like, well, what if the Lord leads you to Kansas? <laughs> and how are you going to know if you're closed off to anywhere else? But anyway. You know, uh, it bothers me that uh, that employee, prospective employee said they were willing to go wherever the Lord led them, and they assumed the Lord only leads people to Oklahoma. Then why the hell are there only three and a half million people in Oklahoma? I know I took it to me to go anywhere, but apparently the, he's pretty convinced the Lord's only going to lead him in Oklahoma. Anyway, but the, beyond that, the biggest interview mistake that, that I see, and I see this all the time, is they forget the whole part about the number one question that, that an employer has. If you get to the point of the interview, they already think you have the background for the position. What they're really trying to gather is, do you really want this position? Is this something you really want to do? Right. And for some reason, a lot of interview, interviewees forget that. They don't act interested. They don't show curiosity. They don't say, I really want this job. They don't ever say that. And that is exactly what the interviewers are looking for. So if, you, if you've got an interview coming up, do that. Show, show you actually want the job because it's rare. Uh, you know what? 
every person that calls and wants to hire me for a speaking engagement at their corporate event, uh, I make sure they understand, yes, I want to do this. I want you to pay me to put me on the stage to make your event a huge success. I want this. You know why I want it? Because that's how I earn a living for 25 years. Even if you are in New Brunswick at a potato event, I want it. Although, February, do you have to have potato conferences <laughs> in February in New Brunswick? Yes. Okay. Uh, next thing I want to cover with you. So you're saying the one thing that interviewers get wrong is they don't show enough commitment. And really, it's, it's a commitment to, yes, I want this. I'll be the best damn employee you ever had because I am a hard worker and I will make this my, my career. Yep. You're saying be more, be more, be more committed. That, that could definitely be the difference between getting hired and not getting hired, for sure. It's interesting because all over LinkedIn, people are telling everybody how passionate they are about the industry. If you're so damn passionate, why don't you then instead get rid of the passionate emotion and just instead show commitment, showing up on time. Yes, I'll be there. If I had to cover a couple Saturdays, I'll be there. I want this job. Right. Okay. <clears throat> Tim Hamrich, you have something else you want to tell us about, and I want you to tell us about it. So, You've been with your company for three years. You've got a nice thing going. You've got a good book of clientele. You're helping good people find their career and their professional uh, dream in agriculture. You also want to do a little outreach to the young people of this industry. You yourself are 35, but you want to reach out. Or 36, is it? Yep, 36. Sorry. You were 35 last time I talked to you. That's true. <laughs> See, look at that. I can still do math, even though I'm a Purdue grad. 30 under 30. Tell us about 30 under 30. Yeah. So there's 30 under 30 programs. You know, Forbes has probably the most famous one. Inc. Magazine has one for entrepreneurs. There's a lot of 30 under 30 programs out there. There isn't one specifically for agriculture or there wasn't one until we started. So we have the Ag Grad 30 under 30, which is intended to highlight stories of people in their 20s doing um, interesting work in agriculture. And interesting work is pretty vague, right? It can be they've started a business. It can be they're really uh, excelling above and beyond in their career. It could be that they've gotten really involved in their community and are somehow contributing to the industry or the community uh, in some agricultural way. So uh, those stories look a lot of different ways, uh, but we are trying to highlight these people. If there's one thing we've learned from our marketing efforts, it's been that stories are what resonate most with people in terms of uh, success stories. It either inspires them to try to pursue um, you know, more ambitions themselves or at least informs them about what success might look like for them. So we wanted to double down on this idea of success stories and highlighting um, people in their 20s doing interesting things. So uh, what that has culminated into is AgGrad 30 Under 30. It's going to be both a print and digital publication, selecting 30 individuals across agribusiness, production, agriculture, entrepreneurship, science and technology, education and advocacy that are doing interesting work in agriculture. That will also be the highlight of all of our promotional efforts next year. So they'll be on our Facebook lives, on our podcast, on our YouTube channel. And we're really going to try to uh, spread the stories of these 30 individuals around. The nominee, so if the person listening right now to the Business of Agriculture podcast says, hey, wait a minute, my grandson or my neighbor or the person that calls on me in my business, whatever, fits the bill. They need to be somebody that's making a difference that is impressive, that is working in this industry, that's between the ages of 21 and 30 years old, that is, is uh, what we want the future to look like. Is that basically how we're wrapping this up? Exactly. I bet all of us can think of one person that you thought, wow, for somebody his or her age, they're doing some big things. That's pretty impressive. If you can think of just that one person and go to 30under30.ag, not .com, 30under30.ag, 
it'll take you about a minute to nominate them and it could mean a, a big difference for them and continue to encourage them to do big things in this industry. And that's the thing. We talk about fostering the next generation. What better thing than to say, hey, I was nominated because somebody thinks what I'm doing is important and impressive and I'm going to keep on applying myself in the business of agriculture. Tim Hamrich has been my guest. You heard how to find him and you heard how to find 30 under 30 dot egg, right? That's right. That's right. So do that. He's a, he's a friend of the show. He can talk to you about uh, your employment needs or more importantly, your employee needs. If you are a company that needs great talent, look him up. Until next time, I'm Damian Mason. You joined us for a great conversation here on the business of agriculture. Thanks so much. We'll do it again. Thanks, Tim. Thank you.